0: Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the, of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. Full of honor and majesty is His work and His righteousness endures forever. He has regained, gained renown for His wonderful deeds for the Lord is gracious and merciful. Holy and awesome is His name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and all those who practice it have a good understanding. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. I want to begin today with a quotation I used in last Sunday's sermon. It was from Elizabeth Barrett Browning's famous poem, Aurora Lee. That poem includes these four lines Earth is crammed with heaven, and every common bush is afire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit and pluck blackberries. Now, those of you who like to read poetry know that poets often have allusions in their poems that if one does not understand that allusion, misses the point of the poem. For example, of course, Elizabeth Barrett Browning is referring Not to every bush, but to one bush, once set aflame by the presence of God. God who spoke from that bush to the very heart of Moses. Hence, earth is crammed with heaven, and every common bush is afire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. All the rest sit round and pluck blackberries." When we read the Psalms, we're dealing with poetry. And sometimes an allusion, just a few words within one of those poems, enlightens the whole poem. I believe that's true for the one today. And the line that enlightens the whole poem is the one that says very simply but profoundly, the Lord, remember that translates the name, given to Moses at the burning bush, the A Asher Eie, the I am who I am. The Lord is gracious and merciful. Now, we hear those words in English and they may not convey anything unusual to us. But the words for gracious and merciful are very particular words in Hebrew. And to a people who did not read, most of them, but only heard the word of God, these two words would have been well known. Example, if the hearers went to the temple every week as they were supposed to, if it was in any way possible for them to get there, every year of their lives they had heard the entire reading of the Torah. If you were to go to Temple Israel our Congregation B'nai Amunah every Friday night for 52 weeks, you would hear, the entire Torah, those first five scrolls read through for you and you would hear them again the next year and the next year and the year after that. And these two words appear most prominently in one story in Exodus. Some years ago, I encouraged the Barton-Clinton-Gordy Committee to consider having a Jewish rabbi come and make our presentations. They agreed to do that. So I asked Rabbi Charles Sherman, my dear friend, Who is the greatest preaching rabbi in the United States of America? And he gave me the name of a rabbi in Chicago, Rabbi Herman Shalman. And I wrote to Rabbi Shalman and said to him, The committee and I would like to invite you to come to Boston Avenue Church. You can check us out with Rabbi Charles Sherman if you would like. We don't want you to try to convince us that Jesus was not the Messiah, and we will not try to convince you that he was. What we want you to do is to come and preach the four greatest sermons you ever preached from the Hebrew Scriptures. He agreed to come. And I remember all four. They were outstanding. The very first one he called the God of Sinai. The God who created the heavens and the earth has chosen to reveal himself to us. And, of course, he went straight back to that burning bush, to Moses, who had fled from Egypt after killing an Egyptian whom he thought was mistreating one of his own kin. "...confronted by God at the burning bush, given a new name by God, and sent back to Egypt to visit plague upon plague upon the Egyptians until Pharaoh, the king, would finally let the slaves go. After 400 years of using their labor, he would be so frustrated, exasperated, he would let them go. That happened, of course, and only when they got out of the major part of Egypt... Did they see the armies of the Pharaoh behind them? Pharaoh had decided he'd made a big mistake. He didn't want to lose all these slaves. God parted the waters of the sea until all the Israelites were safe on the other side. He led Moses again to that same mountain. Moses said to the children of Israel, wait right here. I need to go up and talk with God again. I need to have a conversation with God. So Moses went up the mountain and was gone 40 days and nights. That's nearly six weeks. Finally, down the mountain he came with two stone tablets containing the Ten Commandments. And when he got to the bottom of the hill, what did he find? The people were having a rip-snorting big party. They had taken their rings, bracelets, and jewelry from around their necks and melted them down and had made a golden calf. Now, you need to remind, remind yourself that in most of the cultures of that day, a golden calf had a very specific reference. It was one of the old gods of fertility. So the people had reverted to the old gods and goddesses of fertility. They thought they had to inspire the god of fertility so that all of their ewes would have lambs, all of their cows would have calves, all of their wives would have babies. And that's what they were doing. They were having sex, eating, drinking. God was sick at his stomach of all this. He said, that's it for me? I've had it with these people. I went to Egypt and brought them safely out. I parted the waters of the sea, and within days they were murmuring that they had it better in Egypt. There wasn't enough food. There wasn't enough water. I've had it with them. And Moses, also upset, so upset that they remember the tablets had gone crashing down. They'd been broken. Moses said, wait, wait a second now. You did free them from the Pharaoh. The whole world has been watching as you freed these slaves after 400 years, took them out of the domain of Pharaoh because you loved them. Because you cared for them. You told me you had heard their cries and were ready to free them. You can't turn and walk away. And God said, you're right. You're right. Moses, that's who I am. I am gracious and merciful. If you've been going to the temple all your life, later to the synagogues and every Friday night you heard these stories read, you would know immediately what these words are. The Eye Ashi Eye is gracious and merciful. Number two, great are the works of our God. Great are the works of our God. Six weeks ago, I had finished a long, exasperating week in Dallas. We were electing new bishops. We got that done. Uh, We had been up till 2.30 the night before. My committee finally assigning all 11 bishops to the areas they would serve the next four years. I had to be up and at a breakfast at 7 o'clock the next morning to welcome Bishop and Mrs. Hayes back to Oklahoma for four more years. I rushed to Love Field and got on a plane to fly home to Tulsa. I had a USA Today in my hand and I started reading it on the way. There was a long article about one of the groups of people most impacted by that horrible earthquake in China. There's a tribe that lives so high up in the mountains that they have been called all these years the people of the clouds. They had lost 30,000 in that earthquake of their people, 30,000 had died. This long article was an interview with the shaman of that group. He's 83 years old. He is the one who has memorized for a lifetime all the stories of their people. Realizing that he's 83 years old and 30,000 of his people have died in one earthquake, he started looking frantically for people who could learn all these stories. He recruited five young men, one of them his own grandson. And within a few weeks, he said he discovered... They could not do the chants. This is a point I've been making the last two weeks. People remember longer and better things set to music. They could not do the chanting and they couldn't remember the story. So he dismissed all five of them, started looking again. He found one of his own nephews who seemed to be very adept at this, but he's already 58 years old. And the old shaman is trying to teach this 58-year-old everything he can because he asked, Who? will tell our stories. Who will tell our stories? Well, we have a great story of one God who created the heavens and the earth, who came to Moses in a burning bush, who sent him back to Egypt, who freed his people, who so loved the world that he visited a young woman named Mary And she gave birth to a baby named Jesus. And shepherds came to see him. They had heard a heavenly chorus. The Magi, Gentiles, came to see him. And God included all the rest of the world in his plan of salvation. That all of us are now responsible for trying to teach the rest of the world. There's only one God. This is what he's like. This is what he expects of his people. This child grew up, decided to go south to the Jordan River to be baptized by his cousin John, came back north to Galilee and began to call disciples. He made a crippled man walk. He helped a blind man see. He healed a woman who had been ill for 38 years. He raised a man from the dead. He was crucified. On Sunday morning, God raised him from the dead. Great are the works of our God. Who will tell our story? Who will tell our story and give God's Spirit opportunity to convince the listeners that this story is absolutely true? Number three God's works are so great. I will sing his praises in the congregation. I will sing his praises in the congregation. One of the responsibilities I've had the last four years, I don't have any longer. I was on the Episcopal Committee for the whole jurisdiction, the South Central Jurisdiction. We have 11 Episcopal areas, 11 bishops sitting right now, presiding over these various annual conferences. Uh, First clergy and first layperson elected delegates from each annual conference to the general conference automatically become members of this Episcopal Committee. So I and Carl Young, a layperson from Oklahoma City, were there to represent the Oklahoma Annual Conference. Now, every year for four years, we met at Mount Sequoia in Arkansas when the bishops were there for Bishops Week, and we interviewed each of those 11 sitting bishops. After we'd interviewed the bishop, then we also had the chief layperson and the chief clergy from that area, and we'd say, is that the way you feel, the way he or she feels? Do you see what that person's seeing? Is he or she leading the way you need to be led? For four years, we did that. We got to Dallas six weeks ago to elect three new bishops for those retiring. And the first day, our committee spent the whole day interviewing retired bishops. Gail asked me, why are you doing that? I said, I'm not sure. Uh, We don't have any money to give them if they have a problem. I guess we were to say, "We, we still love you. Are you all right? We still love you. Are you all right? But you know what? It turned out to be a fascinating day for me. There were ten of them, ranging in age from 72 to 95. Every one of them still had a keen mind. And every one of them spoke about how grateful he is to the Lord. Every one. We asked one, but didn't you recently have prostate surgery? I did, he said. But the Lord is good. One of these bishops has now lost both of his sons to death. And he said, That was an experience I wish on no one, but the Lord is good. Bishop Kenneth Hicks is 85 now, native of Kansas. He grew up just across the Oklahoma border there in southeastern Kansas, not far from Miami, Oklahoma. Uh, Ended up being president of our St. Paul Seminary in Kansas City, was elected a bishop, served with distinction, now has been retired a long time, of course. Bishop Hicks has had some surgery, he's had some health problems, but he started talking about how good the Lord is. They all want to talk about how good the Lord is. The 95-year-old Bishop Monk Brown went all the way back to the time he was a small child. He still called his father, Father, and he called his mother, Mother, and he called his grandfather and Grandmother but he spoke of all of them with great love and appreciation. So did Bishop Hicks. He was a boy when the Great Depression hit, 1929. Just a boy. Uh, His family lived on a poor dirt farm there in southeastern Kansas, and it quit raining there like it quit raining in Oklahoma Texas. People couldn't find work, and the crops wouldn't grow. He said he would never forget one morning early when they were all having breakfast that his grandfather said, The well has gone dry. We've got to dig deeper. And he remembered after breakfast how they all went out to the well, and they lured his grandfather down into that well with a pick and a shovel. He spent all morning, you could hear him down there, with that pick and that shovel, pick and shovel. They'd send water down for him to drink, send him something to eat at lunch. He stayed down in that well all day long. You could just hear the pick and the shovel before they hoisted him out late that afternoon. But Bishop Hicks said, I was just a boy. But I remember that he put his arms around me before bedtime that night and said, just remember the Lord is good. And when times are tough, you just have to dig a little deeper. Just dig a little deeper. I will sing praises of thanksgiving to the Lord in the congregation. Number four, and those who practice will find an even greater understanding, this quote says. Uh, to stand in awe of the Lord who is gracious and merciful and mighty are his works, to praise him will in fact enable you to do better. If you know something good, do it. If you know something that's right, do it. If you know something that's true, tell it. To read the story that Pepper Helms wrote recently, she said, All my life I just felt I wanted to be a teacher. God had called me to be a teacher, and I love teaching. I also wanted to be a wife and a mother, and our little Hannah was born to us. I thought she is the most precious child God had ever given anybody and then Hannah got very sick. Hannah died when she was only two. Miss Helm says, I, I just stayed home. I, I couldn't seem to go back to school. I just couldn't face anybody else's kids. I just sort of moped around. I'd wake up every morning hurting. I'd go to bed at night hurting because my Hannah was gone. And then after five months, she said, one of my dearest friends called and said, I need a substitute teacher tomorrow. I wonder if you could come and help me. She said, don't ask me to do that. Yours is a preschool. That's where children are. She said, I know, but you're a teacher. You're a teacher. I have kids who need teaching. She said, well, you wouldn't put me with two-year-olds, would you? I mean, that's what Hannah is, two, two. I, I couldn't do twos. She said, no, no, we'll give you the oldest ones. They're almost five. They'll be kindergartners in the fall. She agreed to give it a try. She said she got there the next morning, and the morning went really well. She said she had a really good time being with all these children. She took them into the gym for recess and had barely gotten in there when the two-year-olds came trooping in. She said, a spotted one little girl had a ponytail. From the back, she looked like my Hannah. She turned around. I realized it wasn't, of course. They were playing kickball, and somebody kicked it, and it came rolling right out past me, she said. And this precious child started running after that ball. But just as she got to me, she stopped and looked so deeply within my eyes that I squatted down in front of her and said, Can I help you? And without a sound, she just threw her arms around my neck and squeezed, really squeezed my neck. And then she released and stepped back. And I said, Thank you, sweetheart. What is your name? And she said, Hannah. And Ms. Helms writes, I'm a teacher. God sent me to be a teacher. And if not my Hannah, then somebody else's. Amen.